Welcome. My name is Tim. I get to serve here on pastoral staff. Get to unpack scripture with you all on Sunday mornings. Uh, one of the things about one of the things about Sunday morning teaching is uh, my hope and our hope is that these these teaching times, this half hour on Sunday morning, is not your spiritual TED talk for the week. Not kind of like your spiritual power pill, vitamin, you get it and then kind of forget about it and just move on. That's, that's, not our, that's not our hope, that's not our heart. Our heart would be it's the beginning of a conversation. Uh, that, uh, it's the beginning of a conversation between yourself uh, and the living God. It's the beginning of a conversation between yourself and those that you're journeying after Jesus with. Uh, because we wouldn't, we wouldn't try to journey after Jesus on our own. We'd always make sure we're doing that with uh, people uh, beside of us. So you're with your, your housemates, your roommates, your family members. You're talking about this stuff. You're thinking about it. You're continuing to pray and journal and process it. And what does it look like? What does it look like for these words, these teachings, these things that God is saying to us? What does it look like for us to live into them uh, seven days a week? And that's our hope for what we do here on Sunday mornings. Um, one of the practices that we've, uh, we've taken up together over the last couple of years is just the practice of taking notes um, on Sunday mornings. So we've we passed out these uh, notebooks and take notes. Uh, some people write questions, some people journal, some people draw, but it's a way of, of engaging more deeply and then even throughout the rest of the week to kind of continue, pro- God, what were you saying to me to talk about a small group with your housemates? God, what are you, what are you doing in our hearts? So um, uh, I know a lot of us maybe already have something we take notes with, but if you don't, I want to make it easy available to you so could i get let's say eight folks to just jump up here and help me pass these out real quick um there's a couple there uh so notebooks and pens there and then there's some more right here notebooks and pens and maybe somebody just hit each section so this is what if you don't already have a note-taking thing and you'd like one and you're not going to just throw it away after church today i mean uh then we'd love to so just put a hand up and these folks will give you one so if you're willing if you don't have a notebook already and you'd like to hey hey i'm willing to try that um let somebody give you one of these and they also have pens and that's all you need the paper and the pen and uh also you may want to put your name in there because there'll be like a hundred hundreds of other people with the exact same notebook as you um so just yeah throw your name on the front or whatever um and there's more right here if those folks, thank you folks for helping me pass those out. Uh, some more people in this section need, anybody else in this section? Good. Yes, somebody here? Yes, no? Okay. Uh, everybody, oh, there's a couple here and right in this uh, this section here. And then, yeah, we're getting folks there. And I have more notebooks here. Do we need more notebooks? No? Somebody here in the middle section? Cool. Good. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, Bill, somebody way back there. Yeah, sweet. All right, thank you very much for helping me do that. That would take me a long time all by myself. Uh, So today we are starting a new series of teachings. And we're calling the series, Who Are You? And we're going to be looking this fall, the next couple of months, at the issues of identity. How we see ourselves, how we think of who we are, uh, our identity. And uh, we're going to be looking at questions like, where does, our, how, where does our value come from? Are we special? Why do people hide so often, wear masks? What does it look like to be an authentic person? What does healthy authenticity look like? 
What does it mean to have an identity rooted in Jesus? How, what does that even look like in real life? What, how, how do we understand the story God is writing with our lives? What is the role of our pain in this story of our lives? What is the role of passion, of calling? We're going to be looking at all these different things and, um, and hopefully, uh, hopefully learning some things, maybe even more importantly, unlearning some things, and, and hopefully coming to a, a more, not only a head knowledge, but actually living into an experienced reality of our identity given to us uh, by the one who made all things. So that is where uh, we are going. We, uh, yeah, so today we're going to begin in Psalm chapter 8 will be our text to begin with today. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. Psalm's about halfway through uh, the Bible. We'll be in Psalm 8. And the question, like, so for today, the question that we're going to focus on is where does your value come from? Where does your sense of value come from? That's what we're going to be digging into today. Uh, Everybody, everyone finds their sense of value from someone or something. Everyone looks to someone or something for their sense of, of worth, of value. Now, some of us maybe maybe don't feel very valuable. And maybe some people don't feel that they are valuable. But, but even, even when we're in a place of not feeling valuable, we are looking to someone or something. Someone or something is telling us that. Everyone is looking to someone or something for their measure of value. So we're going to look at uh, where do we where do we find uh, our sense of value? We're going to begin with Psalm eight. So Psalm eight. I'm going to begin in verse three. The psalmist writes, "When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place." What is humankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. I want to pause there. The, uh, the, the writer here is, is, is asking the question, in light of the immensity of the universe, where does the value of a human being come from? And it's, it's actually a question that I, I think even in, in the 3,000 years since this was written, it's grown more acute. I mean, with the, you know, as modern science grows, our understanding of the immensity of the universe, where does the value of a single human life come from in light of the immensity of the universe? Um, most scientists today believe the universe is 14 billion years old. Human civilization has been around for 6,000 years. I've been around for... 36 and three quarters years. I don't know how long you've been around for. I mean, if we're fortunate, we'll, we'll live 80, 90 years. But in light of the, the, the immensity of the universe, where does the value of a human life come from? Or, or uh, the other day, my daughter said, how many people are on the earth? And I thought to myself, well, I don't know how many people. So I Googled it, how many people are on earth? 7.8 or 7.28 billion people. On planet Earth, 7.279999 of them 
will never know that you or I exist or care. Where does the value of a human being come from? The other, uh, maybe about a year ago, I was reading this book, and uh, it's, I, I, I like to read different kinds of books. This book was about, in a, a, a secular university setting, how to teach the future of the universe. So it was, it was written to teachers how to teach about the future. And uh, it was talking about the kind of the near, middle, and remote future. And it was talking about the, how to teach the remote future. And it was talking about how scientists think in 8 billion years, the sun will expand into a red giant and most likely swallow the entire planet Earth. And if for somehow it doesn't quite reach planet Earth, shortly after that, it'll contract into a cold white dwarf star. And at that point, there won't be any more heat for the Earth, and the Earth will just be this frozen rock slowly orbiting a dying sun. And, uh, and, then, and then trillions of years after that, eventually all the stars will die out and all the energy in the universe will dissipate and, and mat- matter will begin falling apart and the, the entire universe will just be this cold, homogeneous soup without light or life. The end of the universe. And, and in this book, they, uh, the writer, they're, remember, they're writing to teachers of, of, of university students and they, and they say this. They say, the near, middle, and remote futures may be taught in reverse. So don't end with the, the remote future because some faculty find the ending on the largest scale leaves students feeling insignificant and without a sense of agency. <laughs> it's like they don't find the cold death of the universe inspiring. You know, it's like, oh, who would have thunk? That doesn't like move people to action. You know, this is, it will be a cold, dead soup of nothingness. Oh, yeah. In light of the immensity of the universe, where does the value of a single human life come from? The psalmist continues. Psalm 8, uh, verse 5. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I think the key phrase there is, you have made them. The psalmist says uh, that, that, that human beings, men and women, you and I are not the product historical accident. We are not here because of impersonal chance. We are here because there is a creator and there is one who desires us to exist. You were made by the one who desires you to exist. This, uh, the language of Psalm 8, uh, the, the, the kind of the phrases and the terms that it's using it's pulling on 
It's pulling on a thread, a theme that runs throughout Scripture. And it actually goes all the way back to the very beginning chapters of Genesis. Genesis 1, 2, 3. And it's this theme of people, human beings being made in the image of God. That all people everywhere are made, to, are they're made in the image of the likeness of the one who made all things. And um, in the ancient Near East, where these, uh, these Hebrew scriptures were written, in the, in the ancient Near East, it was, a, it was a practice where a king of a kingdom or a king of an empire, they would, when they, they had their territory, they would commission the building of statues in their, their image that looked like them. They, they would have these statues that looked like them built. And they would have these statues that looked like them put in different parts of their kingdom, their empire, their territory, so that when people saw these 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 statues that bore their image, people would know, oh, that's the king who reigns here. That's who, these statues would represent the reign of the king. Oh, that's who this belongs to. And, uh, and, and in this time, if a person would, would, would attack one of these statues, would hurt, would, would break, would, would harm, would deface one of these statues, the, these, one of these statues that bore the image of the king, it was considered an act of treason against the king himself. To abuse, to denigrate, to objectify, to manipulate, to harm, to deface one who bears the image of the great king is an act of high treason against the king himself. Why is it that followers of Jesus, when we have been most true to our founding documents, our founding scriptures, why is it that people who follow Jesus have consistently, they've sat with the dying, they've, they've, t- they've taken those without parents into their homes, they've spoken out for the unborn, those who with different uh, abilities, they, they can't care for themselves, they reach out to care for them. Why is it that those women that we prayed for today are going to Thailand and Cambodia? Why is it that we have a food bank for those who are hungry, to, that we can give them food? Why is it that, that in the summertime we have camps for foster kids? Why is it that we, we get together in the fall and raise money for families that want to adopt kids? It's because that we believe every single boy and girl, every man and woman on this planet is made in the image of the great king. There is value. There is dignity that comes from that. Every person that I ran into this last week, that you crossed paths with this last week, your housemate, your professor, your spouse, your kids, your parents, the store clerk, that lady driving in the left lane so slowly... That person who smells a little different. Every single person that we encounter bears the image of God. There is value that cannot be taken away from them because of that. Now, in our... uh, Our society in Western culture today, uh, human rights, really big deal. 
A lot of talk about social justice. A lot of concern for the victim. Good. We, we affirm this. This is a good thing. And yet, I believe that for a lot of our society, that this concern for those on the margins is coming from inertia of living out of this way of seeing people for 2,000 years. And there are people that you'll... There are people who will hold at the same time that human beings are meaningless accidents and that we should care for the victim of oppression. And they won't see the contradiction between these things. I believe that ideas have consequences, but oftentimes ideas take generations to work themselves out in society. We as a society are living off the inertia of a certain way of seeing human beings. A certain way of valuing human beings. But as we leave that behind, the farther as we as a society push into the, the, the belief that, that humans are just the, the, the products of, of impersonal chance, that that will eventually have consequences. And it will have consequences first for the weak and the powerless. Where does the value of a single human life come from? Where does our value come from? Scripture says human beings are made in the image of God. They are made by the one who desires them to exist. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here and... um, and maybe, maybe you're not sure what you think about faith. You're not sure what you think about Jesus. You're not sure what you think about God. Maybe you're, you're, someone tricked you into coming here this morning, brought you donuts or coffee. Maybe you grew up in the church, and you're not sure if you're going to make this faith your own. You're, you're coming out here out of habit, but you're not sure if you really want to live into this. But maybe you're here, and you're asking those questions, but at the same time, you feel strongly about the victim of oppression about social justice, about caring for the powerless and the marginalized. And I would ask you, why, why do you think you feel so strong about that? Why do, the, why, do the, why do they matter so much to you? And might it be because you're intuitively sensing the fact that every single man, woman, boy, girl is made in the image of the great king. I want to I continue to press into this idea. Where does our value come from? And I want to I push a little into, we've, talk, you know, we've talked a little about what does it mean for the way we relate to others, what does it mean for society. I want to push into a little bit, uh, what does it mean for our own hearts? What does it mean for how we view ourselves? So would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah is to the right from the book of Psalms. And what we're going to read uh, in Isaiah 14, starting verse 13, there's, um, we're going to read, it's actually, it's the, the uh, we're going to be reading the mindset of the king of Babylon. Basically, what we're going to be hearing is, is this kind of anti-God, anti-kingdom way of seeing yourself. This anti-God, anti-kingdom way of viewing yourself. 
And I want to put it in contrast, what we read in Isaiah 14, I want to look at it in contrast to what we just read in Psalm 8. So um, this kind of, this, it's the king of Babylon, but it's, it's his heart, this kind of anti-God way of, of seeing himself in Isaiah 14, starting in verse 13. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. So in, uh, in Psalm 8, the key phrase was, what was the key phrase? You, you have made them. Isaiah 14, this anti-God way of, of seeing himself... I will make myself. I mean, the, the distance between these two ways of seeing yourself. You have, you have made me. I will make myself. And they're, they're radically different ways. One is receiving, uh, one is receiving a sense of value, a core identity um, as a gift from the one who made us. One is, is trying to construct your own sense of value, um, trying to build your own sense of identity out of Nothing. This question, where does your value come from? Where does your, I mean, not out of a, but for you. Where do, where do you look for your sense of value? Do you receive your sense of value as a gift from the one who made you? Do you try and build it out of the things you do? I think in my, what I've experienced in my own life is um, when, I don't, when, when I don't receive my core identity, my sense of value as I'm made, I'm made in the image of God who, who desires me to exist. When, when I try to construct my own identity, my own core identity, my core value, um, it looks something like this. So, so say, say, say that I'm not going to receive my core value from the God who made me. I'm going to try and I'm going to try and build my core value for myself. Uh, so so I'll look to something because everybody looks to someone or something for the sense of value. So maybe I'll look to uh, sports, success in sports. That's where my value is going to come from. Or maybe it's if if my kids turn out well, then I'm going to I'm going to know I'm valuable. Or if I get this job or I do well in these classes, then I'll know I'm valuable. Or or maybe if it's I, if I weigh a certain amount, or I look a certain way in the mirror, then I'll know I'm valuable. Or maybe I, I get this boyfriend or girlfriend, or if I, I get this spouse, then I know I'm valuable. So I look to someone or something. To make myself valuable. This is going to be the core identity. This is where my value is going to come from. And then I think when we do that, when we make ourselves, one of two things happens. Either we live up to it. We succeed. We win the games. We, we get the job. We get the, we get the boyfriend. We get the girlfriend. Our kids turn out the way we wanted. We have the house. We made the money, the business thriving. And there's this undercurrent in our hearts of arrogance and pride because we made ourselves. And why can't you make yourself? I made myself. I win. This arrogance infects our hearts. Or the flip side of that same constructing our own identity. We build this thing. This is, you know, this is the thing where I'm going to get my value from. Well, we don't get it. They leave us. They dump us. The kids, they don't make decisions that we wanted them to. 
We're not proud of how it, how it ended up. We, 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 we get the injury. We can't play the sport anymore. We don't make the grade. We're unemployed. We're sick when we're in bed. And we, we fail to reach that thing that we said that's where value is going to come from. We don't reach it. And then we have this self-contempt. We beat ourselves up. This self-hatred seeps in. And for a lot of us, when we try to make our own identity, our own core value, this is where my value is going to come from, a lot of us just end up bouncing back and forth between these two things. When things are going well, when we reach it, when we fail to, and going back and forth. But it's all based on trying to construct for ourselves, this thing is going to be my core value. This is where my identity is going to come from. And I believe that the Psalm, Psalm 8 comes to us and says, God wants to set us free from this whole thing. That we receive the sense of our value from the one who made us and desires us to exist. That we are more than our successes and more than our failures. That is not where our core value comes from. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today and you have been looking to uh, your body image to give you your sense of value. Maybe food has this power over you and you look uh, to the scale and to the mirror to tell you how valuable you are. Maybe today, uh, God wants to say a good word to you and set you free from that and say that is not where your value comes from. You are made in the image of the one who desires you to exist. Maybe you're here today and you are winning at life. You've got the boyfriend, you've got the girlfriend, you've got the spouse, the kids are turning out great, you've got the house, you've built the business, you're winning the games. And maybe when you look in your heart, you realize that there is this arrogance that's starting to infect your heart. You have made yourself. And maybe today, the living God wants to say to you, He wants to set you free. He wants to set you free from the prison of being defined by your successes. And he wants to say to you, you are more than your victories. Your value comes from being made by the one who desires you to exist. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're here and you are retired. You are a senior citizen. Maybe you're beginning to sense that in our society, one of the major myths is that our value comes from our job. And your work is over, the kids are raised, and in our society, one of the stories we tell you now is that you are irrelevant. And maybe today you hear the good news that your value never resided in your job title and what you did for your work day. That, that you are valuable because you are made in the image of the one who desires you to exist. 
Maybe today you're being invited away from irrelevant retirement and into the different story that God tells us about Christian eldership and the value you are to the body of Christ. I believe everyone looks to someone or something for their sense of value. We all do it. And I believe that the God who made us invites us to see our value, the core of it residing in the fact that we are made by Him. We are not the result of impersonal chance. He desires us to exist. We are made in His image. I believe that in the journey of following Jesus over and over and over and over and over again in our lives, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to fight against these, these, these other temptations to, con- to construct this, this measure of value for ourselves and, and the, that swinging of self-contempt and arrogance. And, and over and over and over, we're going to have to hear again the good news of Jesus that we can step off that seesaw and just rest in our value of being made in His image. I believe it's good news for us. There's freedom in it. And I believe it's good news for our world. That when we live into this, when we speak out of this, it's good news for a world that God loves. Would you pray with me? Abba, Father, uh, Jesus, Messiah, Holy Spirit, we, uh, we do come to before you as a, as a community. And um, I, pray for, I pray for anyone in this room that has been caught in the pit of self-hatred, of self-contempt, and those different, those different things that can own us, uh, that can control us, these compulsions and addictions and the way that we just look down and beat ourselves off. I pray that if there's anybody in the room that's, that's stuck there, I pray, uh, Abba, that you would speak a good word to them this morning, that their value does not rest in those things. Abba, I pray that you speak to them about how you see them. They're made by you who desires them to be. I pray for freedom for them this morning. And I pray pray also for those of us who, who, um, who've begun to be, believe the lie that we have made ourselves. I pray uh, for those of us that we need to hear a hard word from you this morning, Abba, that, that arrogance has seeped into the edges of our hearts. And uh, I pray that you would set us free from that. You would remind us that we are more than our successes. Thank you. Thank you. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.